0: I'm gonna open up with a very important question. Okay. Who is your favorite beetle? Oh. That's probably pretty easy though, because it's George. I knew it was George. I knew it had to be George. George. Yeah. No, you can probably guess mine. Oh, yeah, you can 100% guess it. Is it
1: John? Oh, no. No, is it it Ringo? (laughs) Yes, (laughs) it is Ringo. I
0: love Ringo. Ringo is just, he's just happy to be there. Like, I know musically he may not contribute the most to anything ever, and this right. will probably be a lot of controversy for people, but I love Ringo! And if you've ever seen The Beatles' Yellow Submarine, like, you really have learned to love to fall in love with Ringo. You're like, yeah.
1: oh, God, he's I just feel a nice like guy. He probably has the best sense of humor out of all of them. Oh, yeah. He knows how to take a joke, whereas I don't think the others, the others know how to take at a joke all. Or knew, sorry, knew how to take a joke. But like, no. also his, his name is Ringo Starr. Like, how can you? It's it's Richard Starkly. But yeah, is it Ringo, really, yeah, that's his real name. Uh, he got like he did really. You good know what? In that stage name. And with
0: that, uh, we're gonna go into talking about the Beatles' White <laughs> Album. <laughs> Welcome to Rock Candy. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And we will be bringing you weekly little treats from our sketchy windowless van of music knowledge, because y'all got some learning to do.
1: But it's got a pretty sweet airbrush. like when it on the side. <laughs> Oh, it's got the sweetest. And a dude with no shirt and lots of muscles. <laughs> yeah. stay, stay outside the van.
0: Hey girls, <laughs> y'all want some, want some rock candy? <laughs> and someone asks, are you asking me if I want to do math? <laughs> yes I am. <laughs> oh god. Alright. So we'll get down to business. So, Beatles White album. Uh, controversially, you know, some people love it, some people hate it, but you can't deny it. it's a pretty fucking just quintessential Beatles album, I think, you know.
1: They definitely went out on a high note.
0: They still had two after that, but the <laughs> This was the beginning of the end. Yeah, it definitely was, and you can tell. I mean, it came right after Sergeant Pepper's, and Sergeant Pepper's like blew everybody's mind because the story behind Sergeant Pepper's, real quick, is that they were sick of touring; they were over it. And actually, I've watched videos of them on tour. Girls would just grab them and throw them into the crowd, and they're like, "Please stop touching (laughs) me!" They would flail about, horrified, (laughs) and I was like, "Oh, I kind of get it." So they were, and they were just done, you know, they were playing these live shows, nobody, they couldn't hear themselves play. One time in Japan, because the Japanese was so polite and quiet, that they could hear themselves playing, like, oh god, we sound like right shit, don't we? (laughs) Oh, side note, everybody listening to this is in for a real treat, because I am terrible at accents. Every accent. So, enjoy the ride, everyone. Because Every accent I
1: do is just visible. That goes for me, too. Oh, yeah. And every time I try to do an English accent, it just devolves into a weird Southern American accent. Mm-hmm. Everything turns into blush and bashful. <laughs> Everything. That's not British. <laughs> anyway, so,
0: um, but so they decided we're not touring anymore. We want to do legit music. We want to do our own thing. So they do Sgt. Peppers, and it was pretty rigorous. It was... They were, you know, recording all the time, and they just really went for Paul. Mostly wanted this, uh, a concept album. You know, this guy, Sergeant Pepper. He's got this band. Everything's crazy and magical, and they were on so much LSD, so much.
1: As so, you can tell just looking at the album. Yeah, I
0: mean, in that too. I mean, the album work. They went into so much thought over it. So compare that to the White Album. Every single song is completely and drastically different from the last. And the album itself is all white.
1: And a lot of acoustic guitars. A lot
0: of acoustic guitars. Which a lot of people herald that as George's return to acoustic guitar and, you know, away from the sitar that Mm -hmm. he was playing for a while. Um, And it's funny, I think, that they call this album just The Beatles. Because this is anything but The Beatles. This is (laughs) John, Paul, and George
1: a little bit of Ringo, a little
0: bit, a little bit of Ringo, um, thrown together. You know, out of the 30 tracks on the album, only 16 of them had all four of them playing together, so barely more than half. A lot of this album, you can tell, this is when they were just breaking apart. And they. I think that they were just done. After the touring stuff, Brian Epstein, their manager, is like, well, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> I kind That was my job. But Brian Epstein also played a huge role of being their, you know, kind of mediator. They would always fight all the time. but They could go to Brian and say, Brian, we're fighting. And he's like, all
1: right, let's all. Kind of
0: like their dad. Yeah, kind of. Like, Daddy, hit go me. To, go to dad, your- George go won't, your- won't
1: let me write this song. Dad, John won't <laughs> let me play this part. And Brian okay. would be like, go to your corners. What are you doing? Apologize to your bandmate. <laughs> say you're sorry. I'm sorry.
0: Anyway, but he unfortunately passed away in nineteen sixty seven, right before they were heading off. Like they were starting to really get into their transcendental meditation. So right before that, you know, he passed away, and that was a pretty big shock to them. They're like, oh geez. But then they no longer had that element to kind of keep them grounded. So then they go to India and they start studying trans transcendental meditation. Bear with me with the Maharashi Mahesh Yogi. And you know, most of the album a lot of the album they wrote while they were there. Um, so that's not so much about drugs like Sergeant Pepper was, but more about, you know, self-reflection. And maybe in some ways the self-reflection made them realize, oh, we hate each other.
1: Yeah.
0: Who knows? <laughs> that very much could have been that. Um, you know, there was also constant arguments. Once they got back and John got with Yoko. he broke the, no, no women. The cardinal rule. The cardinal
1: rule. You know? Don't bring your bitches into the studio. Why
0: why you bring a bitch to the studio, John? And he's like, Because she helps me write. <laughs> and and she was it sounded like not a fun person to have in the studio with you when she you're trying to be creative.
1: To be perfectly honest, she really didn't seem like a very fun person <laughs> to her, So I'm kind of on their side with that. Yeah, I kinda of get that, you know?
0: But uh, it, the tensions had gotten so bad in creating the album that George Martin actually took an unplanned hiatus. He was like, "Fuck you guys, you're being children. I'm leaving for a bit." they a long time. Mhm.
1: You said
0: Martin. Yeah, no, George Martin. Oh wait. Yeah, George Martin is their um is their producer. Oh. Yeah, George Martin news is their to news to news to anyone who might not know. <laughs> so George Martin was their was their producer. He did a lot of the or uh instrumentals going to say or orchestrations, whatever. So he was like, "I'm leaving for a bit." And also, their longtime engineer, Jeff, I always want to say Geoff, Jeff Emmerich (laughs) quit. And even Ringo quit for two weeks. Which, this is my favorite Beatles story, because Ringo leaves for two weeks, and after some pleading and convincing from just everyone, he's like, alright, fine, I'll come back. He comes back to flowers on his drums. And I was like, that's so sweet, they all realize, oh, only George did that. Okay, well, George was the nice one. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, get ready to learn that George and Ringo were really the only nice ones in the group. Pretty
1: much. Get ready for that. Honestly, if I had to pick a number, two, it would
0: be Ringo. Right? And I I would just, you know what? George would be my number, two. After going through this, it was, before, it was Paul. After this, George. 100%. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go and do a track-by-track kind of giving you guys, you know, what the story is behind each song. Either musically, lyric, but mostly lyrically.
1: And, you know, well, maybe you'll learn something. Who knows? Maybe we will learn something.
0: So we're going to start off with, the obviously, track one, Back in the USSR. So, back in the USSR, I'm pretty sure that, you know, if you know, if you're worth your salt in music knowledge, you're gonna kind of understand that this is definitely, they definitely learned a lot from the Beach Boys and Chuck Berry through this one. They're really kind of ripping them off, real ch- really in a fun tongue in cheek kind of way, though. Actually, so while they were studying in India for um, the meditation, they were there with Mike Love the lyricist and vocalist for the Beach Boys and they all became real good friends especially Paul, they're all hanging out and one day Mike was saying to Paul you know, wouldn't it be really fun to do a Soviet version of Back in the USA the Chuck Berry song from Back in the Day real Paul's fun. like, we fun time hey, you know what's really fun right now? The Cold War, let's do a song about it but make it
1: funny You know what the Cold War doesn't have enough of? Humor <laughs> Doesn't though. That's really that's actually them. really that's pretty you know true. Who really needs to put the humor back in the Cold War. The, the Beatles. Beatles.
0: You know what? Paul's guys.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like hey, Paul's perfect Paul. fan to put the humor back in the Cold War. Paul, we can't do this because we're the Beach Boys. But maybe the Beatles can do but this. You know
1: who can pull this off?
0: You guys. You guys can totally do this. You got this. You got this. I have so much faith in you. Paul's like, well, I should go write song then. It <laughs> sounds like a good time. But yeah, so Paul takes this song and, you know, a little, a little having a bit of fun with his friends, the Beach Boys, decides, all right, I'm going to do it kind of in a Beach Boys, surfer boy styling. And, you know, you have this song that classically would be about California girls and, and surfing in the sun. Instead, it's about Moscow and Ukraine. And
1: Ukraine girls.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Being real cold. Um, and having their big fluffy hats on. He doesn't say anything about the fluffy hats, but he probably should.
1: I think it's implied.
0: <laughs> it is implied that they're all wearing big fluffy
1: hats. <laughs> and uh, those big fur muffs. Oh yeah. Muffs. Yeah. Kind of want to bring those back. We should probably consider bringing those back. Granted, you can't do anything with your hands.
0: But yeah, so. You know, Paul writes or well, Paul wrote the song and they perform it. When Paul wrote it, he said he had in mind um a story of a spy who had been working in America for way too long and he was just real happy to get, to the get fuck back. Out. Yeah. It was like that's not completely inaccurate, I yeah, bet. I, I, You're a Soviet spy. That. Yeah, I
1: can, I can
0: picture that. He's like, I'm so sick of cheeseburgers. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I want Gruel. I want bland, terrible Gruel. But I get slapped in the face and told that I like and it.
1: I just want some good
0: probi. <laughs> oh, man. Who doesn't love a good pro? though? Uh, of course, because this is during the Cold War and the Vietnam War, American conservatives were immediately jumping to the conclusion that, you know, the song's celebrating our
1: enemies and the Beatles love communism. The, the media jumping to conclusions over a Beatles song, right? and this, you don't say. And this was before
0: the 24-hour news cycle. Can, <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> it was today. Oh, wait, we we do know what it's like. But of course, they completely missed the satire. They they just thought the Beatles were trying to further socialism and communism and all that garbage. And You know, it's funny enough, the kids in the Soviet Union loved the song when they could sneak it over because back then <laughs> Soviet Union was like no you can't listen to the Beatles we fucking hate them but the kids are like but we love it. something else to mention an interesting thing about the White Album is that each song kind of builds into the next one which is really cool
1: so in a way it's almost kind of like a concept album in yeah sense, like everything kind of they merged them together. all
0: together like, yeah they completely got rid of breaks between the tracks
1: which is interesting because I mean, considering they barely worked together collaboratively on over half of the album, having that thing where there's barely any breaks between the songs is almost the only way you can make everything relate to each other. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, stylistically, there's a lot of songs on there that just, why is this on the same album as this? This makes no sense. So... the only way it would make sense is to kind of try and make them all flow together somehow.
0: Right? I feel like George Martin's like, I'm just going to bleed them all together. <laughs> That'll make this album work. Gonna work. That's what's going to do it. Yep. All right. I figured it out.
1: back. Yeah.
0: Good for you, George Martin.
1: <laughs> I'm polishing a turd at this point. <laughs> but it's <laughs> a good turd. But it's it's a, not a, it's the not best a turd. turd.
0: It's a tremendous turd. <laughs> Until so that brings us to the next song on the album, Dear Prudence. The sun is up,
1: the sky is blue, it's beautiful, and so will you be Prudence. Won't you come out to
0: play? So, that's Dear Prudence. I really like that song. I think it's really sweet. Really fun. I like
1: the subject matter. It's really sweet, especially the um, story in this, The Beatles' Hard Days, Right? Yes. <clears throat> um, about how it was about uh Mia Farrow's sister. Yeah,
0: uh, Prudence Farrow. <laughs> I was like, I thought they, like, I know Prudence is a real name, but I'm like, no one's really named Prudence. Yeah,
1: and, <laughs> like, was it John that wrote this song for yep. her? And she had no idea that. <laughs> He wrote it for her. He didn't tell her. No. She didn't know. No. And she spent most... I'll let you tell the whole story, but... That's okay. Like, you know. <coughs> Go. Um, the, just the fact that she had no idea about this song until the album came out, and still nobody said anything to her. Right? Like, like
0: George would tease her, I guess, and be like, oh, we wrote a song about you. Because that's how all the Beatles talk, by the way. I wrote a song. <laughs> but he would say to me, i fairly... Oh, we wrote, this, or not me, uh, fucking Prudence we wrote a song about you, and Prudence was like, oh, that's cute, but didn't think it was, like, a real song.
1: Yeah.
0: But apparently there's a lot of controversy behind Prudence being at the uh, little uh,
1: She was at the course. Same, the same, uh little transcendental meditation mm-hmm. course in India that the Beatles were in. Yep. And she, like, basically hid in her room
0: the whole well, time. So I guess what it was, she was really taking it seriously. There are stories that she took it so seriously, she got herself into, like, a semi-canatonic state, and, you know, she wasn't recognizing people, she was getting sick, apparently the Maharashi gave her her own nurse to stay with her, because she he was like, I'm really worried about you, You're you're not looking great. Now
1: she, of course, is, none of these stories are true. No, nope, <laughs> I was fine. You know, I just I just took my meditation really seriously. It's just that when I am at a meditation retreat in India with the Beatles, <laughs> right. I would rather lock myself in a, in a bedroom than socialism. In right, because here's the thing. Let's take a hot second. You're with the
0: Beatles, one of the Beach Boys, and Donovan. And you're like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put myself in a coma. Bye. <laughs> Peace, guys. Deuces. I mean, this looks really fun. I see you guys are having a great time. Oh man, maybe I could like watch you guys jam. Nah, I'm gonna go <laughs> meditate. Girl, if I were you, even if that's not the story that you made yourself sick, I would just say I made myself sick mm-hmm. because I imagine when you get home and everybody asks you what it was it like to hang out with the Beatles, and you say I didn't really hang out with them. You're gonna get judged.
1: You look like a real loser. Real <laughs> loser. Wow, you're pretty boring if you don't God. want to hang out with these guys. Right.
0: Right. Oh, like, I don't know, it was disappointing oh, to thing. say the least.
1: Sorry, Prudence, but this story does not make me want to hang out with you.
0: Guys. Yeah, prudence. You can't You live up to you. your name. You can't sit with us. You can't sit <laughs> with us. You just can't sit with, with us. You and you and your other virtues virtues can Get the fuck out. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this, Prudence. God damn it. But it is a really cute sago, so I'm glad they wrote it. I guess I'm maybe it's good that she did that, because maybe then we wouldn't have had dear prudence.
1: Yeah. So true. Or maybe we could have had something better.
0: You don't know prudence. You don't know what you did to us. We'll never know.
1: Thanks, Prudence.
0: Thanks, Prudence. <laughs> Oh, and that's gonna lead me into talking to the next song on the track, (laughs) Glass Onion. It has nothing to do it's a terrible segue, I don't know how to segue. (laughs) But you know who knows a segue? George Martin Anyway, so Glass Onion is a John song, obviously. Credit to Lennon McCartney, but John wrote it. And he really thought it was funny how people love to pick apart their music and be, Oh, this is what this song means. And John, what do these lyrics mean? They write in letters and
1: beg, you know. This John, is, what does this mean? This is what we did before the internet.
0: Right? <laughs> I mean, because lesbianists. I totally Google meaning of lyrics all the time, but I don't think. I mean, you know, we were alive before the internet. We were kids, like I remember, like getting, you
1: know, magazines. Yeah.
0: Shit
1: like that. Watching
0: like documentaries because that's how you find shit out. Yeah. You don't have Google.
1: Yeah. But people would,
0: you know, write down these letters, and he just was thinking you know, they don't really mean anything, or they can mean whenever you want them to. He actually had a pretty, you know, lax view of the whole thing. He actually said, quote, I do it for me first. Whatever people make of it afterwards is valid, but it doesn't necessarily have to correspond to my thoughts about it, okay? This goes for anyone's creations, art, poetry, songs, etc. The mystery and shit that is built around all forms of art needs smashing anyway. So he decides to write Glass Onion to just troll the shit out of the fans. He was just, hmm, yeah, let's do this. So he references Strawberry Fields. He references Lady Madonna, I Am the Walrus, Within You, Without You. He references all their old songs, especially the ones that people are constantly asking, well, what's the meaning of the song? So he's like, well, if I just put these all in one song, it'll just blow everybody's mind. And it did. It 100% (laughs) worked. Um, A little bit to his detriment, actually, because if... You're aware of the Paul is dead conspiracy. Oh, yes. Now, for those who aren't aware of the Paul is dead conspiracy, there are a lot of people out there who believe that Paul McCartney died in a car accident in, I believe, 1966. Or it was a motor accident. It was either a motorcycle or a car. I don't remember. But they thought he died because he did get a an accident. And his face got a little messed up. Like, just a scotch. It was fine. He grew a mustache. It was fine. <laughs> um, and... Everybody decided, oh, Paul's dead. They replaced him with a double. Shit, such conspiracy. So I was like, good, healthy conspiracy theories, 1966. I'm excited for you. And when one of the lyrics is that uh, that John basically compares, John says that Paul is the walrus and I am the walrus. Now, I don't know if John knew this or not. Maybe he did. But in some primitive cultures, the walrus happens to be the symbol of death. So everyone's like, oh my god, John just confirmed it! But
1: the conclusions that people came to are not logical. No, not like, at all. How did they even get here? I, I, yeah. Oh, okay. The so walrus. Mm-hmm. And John says, Paul is the walrus, but walrus in this weird Amazonian Culture that we just discovered says walruses mean death, which I don't know why a walrus would, walrus would mean death anyway. What part of
0: wal like maybe the tusks?
1: I don't. If you saw a walrus in the wild and walked up to it, you'd probably die okay. because it would just fucking <laughs> attack you or just roll over on you and kill you. So <laughs> so that's where so we maybe get it. In whatever culture it is, it's like yo. Every time somebody goes
0: up to a walrus, they die. <laughs> so, so walruses mean death. Walrus Paul's the death. walrus. So, so Paul rolled over and died.
1: There we go. That makes sense. It right? all makes sense. I get
0: it. All right, guys. We do figured it, it out. Do Paul do is mind. dead. All anyway, let's go to a
1: Paul song. That was the best,
0: that was the best <laughs> to do. With o oh, Blah, Dee, Blah, da. That's really weird to say not singing.
1: I just say yes <laughs> that every time I hear this song all I can think of is the show life goes on I've never seen oh it oh my god <laughs> it was it was like on uh think. oh yeah yeah yeah, and yeah it was about this suburban family who has a son who has down syndrome was quirky do you remember oh yeah
0: oh that was way too loud I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. And because the reason I, I know about Corky is from Family Guy references, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, that's the same Corky. Oh my god. But uh, the, the theme song, it was like, over and over and over. oh, what, But they had the those were
0: singing it. Those were the days that Michael Jackson owned the rights to the yes. Beatles songs. Which is
1: kind of interesting, because for a long time, he wouldn't really give out the rights to Beatles songs very much. Yeah, I think by the 90s, he was just like...
0: Well, really consumed with other things. Well,
1: anyway, like touching
0: children. Yeah, I said it. I went there. I'm convinced. <laughs> That'll be another episode. That's another That's episode.
1: That's episode. We'll get into it. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Happened. So, oblady,
0: oh, Every oh, time he sings it, he's like, I feel like he's talking to one of his bros, like, oh, blah, dee, oh, blah, da. Bra. You know, let's throw some heavyweights, Bra.
1: This must be a one of the earliest examples of the use of the word bra.
0: That's where those frat boys got <laughs> it. Anyway, <laughs> you'd think that these are, li- are complete gibberish lyrics, but uh, Paul had heard them used often by a Nigerian conga player named Jimmy Scott. And he was apparently well-known for his catchphrases. And he would say, obla di obla all the time, apparently. So he kind of took this phrase. He never really knew what it meant, because the guy, uh, Jimmy Scott, would not tell him what it meant. He's always like, a, oh, come see, come saw, like, you know, whatever kind of thing. And, and his wife like, was like, no. well, his <laughs> wife said, N- no, I mean, it means, mo- I don't even know what it means, but I know it means more than that. Um, it's just kind of like
1: his, his overall, like, philosophy. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah,
0: whatever. But apparently after the song was released, Scott got real upset and decided to sue the Beatles. And then Paul said, quote, come on, Jimmy, it's just an expression. If you'd written the song, you could have had a cut. And that was the first moment I'm like, Paul. Kind of a dick. Interesting. (laughs) Didn't expect that reaction. Well, what happened in 1969 was Jimmy ran into some trouble with the law, couldn't pay pay his, which apparently they must call child support and or alimony maintenance in Britain because he couldn't pay maintenance to his ex-wife. Is what they said. So, maintenance means <laughs> something along the lines of child's, uh, you know, keeping up. Keep up with your kids or your alimony or whatever. It's ridiculous. Well, I mean, that makes sense why he would sue them. because That's basically well, the only option. So, money. he sued them before this. Oh. Yeah. And so then, after he maybe got he put in jail. So, he, <laughs> he probably saw it coming. He's like, maybe they'll give me. No. No. Crap. So. He struck, he struck up a bit of a bargain with the Beatles. If you get me out of this, I'll drop the suit. And they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Fine. And that's how <laughs> that got dropped.
1: Good compromise.
0: Fun fact. At the end, they say Desmond stayed at home and did his preface. Apparently, that was a fuck up. He, you know how
1: you always listen to that? And you're like, oh, Desmond became a drag queen. Nope. Yeah, Paul just it, messed it, up the lyrics. It. It seems like at that time period, I don't think the Beatles would have had the balls to say something like that. But at the same time, but at the same time, I feel like they would. They should. I thought they did, but
0: they didn't. John told him to keep it in because he fucking hated the song.
1: (laughs) Didn't everybody else hate the song? Because wasn't it voted by something as the worst song ever written? Well, I think the worst
0: song ever written is on this album. But it's not this one. Oh really? we'll get oh we'll get there. Okay. You'll get to my heat. Anyway, so let's jump into the next song, Honey Pie, which I don't spend a lot of time on because it's a minute. Honey pie, honey pie. That's the whole song. That is the whole song. It's okay. just it's just that, yeah, there's not even much to talk about. It's barely a minute long, not even. Damn and it. the only reason, I mean, it's not even a minute. You don't have to skip it. <laughs> I mean, you could, like, get up and go to the bathroom during If you're quick Here, the bathroom's <laughs> this really is the close ba- to your this this is the bathroom, bathroom break. <laughs> break song. You got your vinyl on, and you're like, oh, I don't want to change it. And like, oh, I can get up and petering wild honey pie real quick. <laughs> um, The only reason it made it to this album, it just was a little jam song that they did when they were in uh, India. And the only reason they kept it there was because Patty Harrison's like, I really like it. Paul's like, fine, we'll keep it. That's it. Okay. That's it. That's all that is. Let's just move on to the continuing story of Bungalow Bill. So this song I really enjoy now that I've read more about it. I mean, I liked it before, but now that I read the story behind it, <laughs> I fucking love this song. <laughs> this is John's throwing shade song,
1: Ooh, and I, throwin- I who is he throwing Thade to? <laughs>
0: <laughs> who is
1: he? He's throwing shade
0: throwin- all shade. over the place. <laughs> he is throwing shade at this kid. He wasn't a kid; he was like a college kid, so it's not a real kid. Yeah. So there's this woman, Nancy Cook, at the meditation course with them in India. Okay. She's super rich, like, yuppie Californian woman. And she had her son, Richard, come meet her. they apparently got along pretty okay with most of the Beatles, except for John. John hated them because they- you
1: don't say. Right? John didn't <laughs> like
0: them. It might surprise you to hear John didn't like somebody.
1: So his big
0: problem with them is they kind of just represented everything he hated, you know, just this clean-cut yuppies kind of throwing their wealth around, mm-hmm. being real it just kind wasn't of about there that
1: because they had a lot of money and didn't know what
0: to do with it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Like you
1: know they weren't really getting anything out of meditation. Yeah. So they were <laughs> just there of... so they can go back to society in the US and be like we went to this transcendental meditation with a Maharishi. And then, like, all their rich friends
0: were like, oh. <laughs> Apparently, John made fun of Richard for being a college kid. Because apparently, in the late 60s, and actually, I think this is true, late 60s, it was not cool to go to college. It was cool to drop out and grow your hair out long. But, like, Richard was all clean-cut frat boy looking. How dare he get an education? <laughs> John's like, hey! Fuck off! <laughs> your, your fucking goddamn education!
1: That was like I don't know. That was in
0: English via uh, Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Richard and Nancy went on this hunting expedition. Apparently, well, Richard wanted to hunt, and Nancy just wanted to go. Wait, but hunting for what? Exactly. Um, tigers. And they oh. went. Yeah, and they actually. Great. Went, like the lyrics Perfect. of the song, spot on. They wrote out on elephants to go tiger hunting, cause like okay, he's I like, don't even like these people. Now. <laughs> I know. I mean, no, these people are just, these people are garbage. I'm on John's side for <laughs> yeah, the song. John,
1: John has a legit argument
0: here. <laughs> he has a one hundred percent legit argument. Richard ended up killing a tiger. Felt kind of bad about it though. Oh, he's like, God. oh, that was a garbage thing to do. When yeah. they come back though, he's talking to the Maharashi about it. And for whatever reason, he and Nancy were seeing the Maharashi, and um John and George were sitting in on the as well. And, you know, the Maharashi's kind of like, whoa, you're not supposed to be killing shit. That's not the point. kind
1: of the exact opposite of what you're supposed to be doing
0: right now. And John decides, he looks at them and he's like, quote, don't you call that slightly life destructive? And I feel like that's like a real, you know. Eastern I, culture way of throwing some
1: mad shade at them. I feel like I need to take that and incorporate it into my own life Yes. Somehow. Don't you think that's slightly life destructive? When I want to be a self-righteous asshole to one of my friends. Because yes. I don't like what they're doing. Don't you think that's a little life destructive? <laughs> yes. Yeah, perfect. Taking it. It. Take it, it, mine. Guys,
0: start using it. It's going to be so good.
1: Thanks,
0: John. And of course, Nancy's like, it was either the tiger or us. And that's what, what inspired the lyrics. If looks could kill, it would have been us instead
1: of him. He actually but, got the name. Is she legitimately trying to say that if they didn't kill the tiger? Yeah, then, while
0: they're on top of elephants. While they're
1: actively In a group hunting, of people this tiger mm-hmm. on elephants in mm-hmm. a large group of people mm-hmm. with guns. Mm-hmm. The tiger would have killed all of them. 100%. Tigers were legit in the 60s. <laughs> tiger. <laughs> Fucking tiger blood. It's it's real.
0: <laughs> but he also got the name Buffalo Bill from a mix of two characters. Jungle Jim, which is apparently a British thing. I've never heard of it. Yeah, um, But also Buffalo Bill. Obviously. obviously. So that's where that song came from, and I live for it. I'm like, you know, as much as John was an asshole this time, worked.
1: On his side, 100% on his side. Yep. I'm like,
0: yup, do it. Yep. And that'll lead us into a very contrasting song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps. I don't know how someone controlled you they so So that's one of my top three Beatles songs. That actually might
1: be my number two. This is a really interesting song to me. Just for the simple fact that, like, everyone besides George, who wrote it, basically refused to help him. And it's such a good song. Why would you not want to be a part of this? If this song didn't make George think I could really be a solo artist, (laughs) then he was doing it wrong. He was. like. Well, well, so
0: lyrically, this kind of surprised me. Well, not totally, because I think it's more to it than what they... A lot of the stories just say, he got the lyrics because he was reading this book, I Ching. It's a Chinese book of changes. And he's taken this method of lyric writing that it doesn't really matter what I say, just kind of like find words and flow with it. So when he opens up the book, I Ching... Or, I'm sorry, when he, he's reading this book, and that's where he gets the idea from, he opens up a book at his parents' house, and the first re- words he reads is gently weeps. And then he wrote the song from that. Now, I kind of feel like, and I mean, arguably, you could say, a lot of it's about, like, the turmoil of the world at the time, you know, nobody's able to find love, people are very, you know, there's no universal love in the world, which would be the love there that's sleeping. You know, I mean, we're dealing with the assassination of Martin Luther King, Robert Kennedy, the rise of Soviet Russia. Things were just weren't going great. But I also feel like there's a story about how the band is breaking up in there, too. He's, I don't know, you can hear his frustration, I think. I mean, like you said, he did the song by his fucking self. Except for Eric Clapton. His best friend. The in case y'all didn't know, George Harrison and Eric Clapton biffles. Eric Clapton played the guitar on the song, which I did not know until researching this. And I'm like, this this guitar solo in this song is boner jams. It's so good.
1: Like only only Eric Clapton could have. Well, Clapton. I
0: thought maybe George did it. But that's also the nice thing, too, okay. is Eric Clapton was a real good friend of George during this time and told George a lot of times, you know you're better than this, right? Yeah. You don't need Eric to be out here. Eric Clapton was George Harrison's
1: get a grip friend. <laughs> And I kind of love Eric Clapton for that. Yeah, you know, good for you,
0: Eric Clapton. <laughs> Thank you. But he, and you know, actually, George would help him with a lot of songs as well, so, you know, they... And this song turned out to be friggin' amazing. And and so we bleed into another track, which is Happiness is a Warm Gun. I need a fix cause I'm going down, down to the bits that I'm down i need a fix cuz i'm gone
1: down mother superior jump the gun mother superior jump the gun mother superior jump the gun mother superior jump the, the gun
0: so i'd like to say that this is an example of writing a song while you're high and having it work for you <laughs> <laughs> It's actually three unfinished songs mixed into one. Um, you can really hear the obvious changes from song to song. It's, it's right there. <laughs> so the lyrics from the first section came from a night when John was tripping with some friends, and he's just sitting there saying, guys, just toss out some phrases that I can put into a song. It amazes <laughs> me that anybody can write anything
1: right? while they're tripping that hard.
0: Um, it's amazing to me that people can write
1: at all. And then when you <laughs> sober up, you still like what you know. Because <laughs> how many times have you done things when you were high or drunk or whatever and you come back to you like, that was. Like reading text messages. Like, this doesn't, this, these aren't words. <laughs> yeah. Auto correct can't even correct. Yeah, because they're not words. There was
0: definitely a night where I was real high and thought I was playing the bongos real good. And the next day, my roommate was like, oh, that was, that was the worst thing I ever heard in my that life. That was
1: some Matthew McConaughey shit. What <laughs> We've all had those bad. Matthew
0: McConaughey nights, though, I'd like to think. Sometimes they happen. <laughs> well, when we go into the second section, complete change. And the second, second section is all about his relationship with Yoko. And he spent a good chunk of his relationship with Yoko calling him mother. Because let's take a hot second. John had some
1: mom wait, issues. Wait. He called Yoko mom? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Is he Mike Pence? Not helping John's case whatsoever with me. <laughs> it's like every other song. You're like, I like John. And then
0: you're like, no, no, John. What are you doing? What are you doing? Brah. What are you doing, doing brah? But, yeah, no, he had a lot of mother issues. Um, yeah, I can get into that. There's another song where his mom gets brought up, so I'll bring that up then. But, yeah, so he always called Yoko mom, hence the mother superior look, or er, uh, lyrics. He was also a little addicted to heroin at the time. Oh, just a little. It's fine. And then the final section, the main title, "Happiness is a Warm Gun." John got from um, a magazine. It was a gun magazine that said, "Happiness is a warm gun." He was like, "That's sounds- how." He, he just, yeah, he just <laughs> thought it was such like a crazy. He's like, "Oh, that's such a crazy thing to say." A warm gun means you just so- shot something. Now, <laughs> now. <laughs> What I have also heard, and everything I've looked up online, not everything, but a lot of things I've looked up online, and in my book, don't mention this, but I have heard it mentioned that it's a reference to, like, either sex or masturbation, because a warm gun would mean you just jerked it. You just shot something, you shot a load. Okay. So, there's that.
1: Man, the shit people come up with. People
0: come up with some weird shit, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, but yeah, so... You know, he had these three songs. At least two of them he wrote while he was real high. And,
1: and you know what? I and still think it's a good real song. real good when they were sober.
0: It's a real <laughs> good song. I still like it. I'm still down with it. It's, it's fine. He, he did a good job. And I mean, here's the thing. It's three songs at one. So if you didn't like one part, maybe you like the other. Good form, John. Good form, John. You tried. <laughs> trying counts. Speaking of trying counts, let's go to Martha, my dear. My Paul. <laughs> Martha, my dear. Spend my days in conversation, please. Remember me. Martha, my love. Don't forget me. Martha, my dear.
1: So who is this one about?
0: So Paul wrote this song musically. It actually started off as piano exercises that he would do just to kinda warm his hands up and get himself going and he managed to just fucking <sighs> You gotta give Paul some credit. He could just sit there and do piano exercises and like, I'll make a song out of this. And you're like, god damn, he did. He made a song out of this. He said he was going to do it, and he did it. He did it. He made that up. made it happen. <laughs> Lyrically, though, it is a mix between um, his intermuse, you know, the the kind of creation, and I guess female in his mind, that inspires him to write his songs. Don't forget me, because what if someday I just don't know how to write music anymore? So I mean, the constant fear I imagine all musicians go through yeah. is Jesus Christ, don't leave me. But also, it is written to his childhood sweetheart, sweetheart Jane Asher. Um, they actually broke up in the midst of making the White Album, but they've stayed really good friends. Huh. So it's kind of like a you know, so I know was... we broke up, but it's cool.
1: So is he with her this like for years and years and
0: years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know that. yeah. He was with Jane Asher for a while. They were going to, I think, I think they were engaged. They're gonna get engaged. I don't remember quite what it was, but they were together for a really long time. And but yeah, like Paul had just been on the road and started cheating on her. So okay. That's what you do. As
1: I you think do. as you do. Real rock and roll. But
0: like Jane wasn't even that mad. She's like, you know what? I kind of want to go live my life anyway. So
1: that's why like they that. managed to just make it work. They're like, well, just to be friends, it's I fine. Feel like that kind of happens a lot with, like, younger sweethearts. Yeah. I mean, usually you try to make it work through college, and some one person cheats on, it or whatever. But this is, this was, like, their college. Yeah. You know? They yeah. didn't go to proper college. They went to, you know, rock and roll school, basically. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you go off, instead of going off to college, they're going off on the road and right. albums and everything. So, she gets real after that. She does get real. gets real real. But, you know, but you know
0: all of that you know where the name martha came from what his english sheepdog oh. <laughs>
1: okay.
0: so here's the thing though i did paint an adorable picture where paul is just sitting at a piano
1: and blinkering a away and a
0: dog just next to me
1: and that's adorable
0: so following that is john lennon's i'm so tired and I like to think that a lot of us can relate <laughs> to that too. feeling. We get it, John. You're <laughs> tired. So are the rest of us. All
1: the time. I wonder should I get up and fix myself a drink? No, no, no. I'm so tired. I don't know what to do. I'm so On you I wonder should I call you But I know what you would do So I, I relate to this first verse <laughs> I'm so tired I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna make a drink I'm gonna make myself a drink Like this It speaks to me very deeply <laughs>
0: It's it's a pretty straightforward song Um, You know I'm so tired John was real tired all the time Apparently he wrote this in India and during studying meditation, they had a lot of long sessions where they have to sit there and just try real hard to meditate. And I'm not you, but when I try to meditate, I just fall asleep. Yeah.
1: I don't, no, I don't fall asleep. I just, I can't concentrate on one thing. I can't just sit there and do nothing.
0: Yeah. And that was John. Yeah. That was 100% John. He couldn't, he was just, it was too stressful for him. But then he would, you know, try to do it. You know, he tried to go to bed at night and he couldn't sleep. So he's just like, Jesus Christ, I can't sleep. I can't, meditate. can't do anything. And um, they weren't allowed any substances. So no cigarettes, no drugs, no alcohol, Ooh. nothing. So he was clean.
1: Ooh. And he had to
0: try to do all this. And he was just not having it. And now at this time, he hadn't quite hooked up with Yoko. He, he knew her. They were friends. I think, like, emotionally, he was already with Yoko. But physically, nothing had happened. And actually his wife at the time, Cynthia, was on the India trip with him. So he's kind of sitting there like, oh, I, don't know, uh, oh, I don't know what to do about you. And they'd be like, God, I want to talk to Yoko. I miss her. So it was just a lot of real awkwardness with his wife while he's sitting there like, mm, I want to invite Yoko to India, but my wife's but here. But I'd
1: rather be with Yoko. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, people
0: make choices. It's fine. <laughs> choices. This episode brought to you by... <laughs> So, you know, that's it's a pretty nice, cute, little, simple song. Despite yeah. it, you know, being about, you know, exhaustion and sobriety. And,
1: and not having... wanting to be with your wife, but yeah. instead the other person you're emotionally it's attached conflicting. to.
0: It's conflicting. It's fine. <laughs> you no know, one else is conflicting. Blackbird, which is the next song on the album. Blackbird singing in the dead of night. Take these broken wings and learn to
1: fly all your life. You were only waiting for this moment to arise.
0: So I'm going to take a hot take for myself here. <laughs> this is my favorite Beatles song.
1: It's a very, very beautiful song.
0: I love this song. Backstory when I heard it, it was like late high school, early college. When I heard the song, you know, I've gone through some shit in my life. When I heard Blackbird, it was during a tough time. And I was like, you know, Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly. So the way I heard it was, you know, take the shit from your life and, you know, succeed despite of that. You know, I was like, oh, God, yeah, it's very empowering. I have it tattooed on my shoulder. Mm -hmm. It's my first tattoo I ever got. It really meant a lot to me. So let's go into... What the song's really about, though. There are a few theories. Mine, nonwithstanding, some people do also look at it the way I do, too. Kind of like a personal thing. One story has it that Paul woke up one morning to the sounds of a blackbird and immediately picked up his guitar to transcribe the song. Mm, eh, Maybe, maybe not. Probably didn't, though. Paul's stepmother actually says it was written for her mother, Edie Stopforth, who was really sick at the time and actually was staying with them and Paul was hanging out with her a lot and playing music for her. And at the beginning of one of the studio takes, Paul says, this one's for Edie. So, arguably, could be for her. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But the strongest and most confirmed, what the song is about, is that, you know, it was about race, the racial situation in America. Um, Blackbird actually was, used to be kind of a derogatory term during the slave trade, but during the civil rights era, African Americans were trying to take it back as a positive... Um, kind of uplifting term mm-hmm. and you know it was very much he was looking at the movements and the actions of people like Martin Luther King and how you know why isn't there more equality all these things and he's telling the black uh, community in America you know rise above this you can do this you know we believe in you kind of thing I guess so now I feel real awkward about my tattoo because I'm like <laughs> oh I'm real white I feel real awkward now. (laughs) But at
1: the same time, Paul was real white. Right?
0: But he wrote it for them. I'm having this tattoo for myself, (laughs) and I feel like an asshole now, debating whether to cover it up.
1: (laughs) I I don't think you necessarily have to cover it up, because as we have learned through this whole thing, researching this album and the songs and what they mean and everything... Clearly, everyone has their own interpretation of every single (laughs) Beatles song that has ever been written. Yeah. So, I wouldn't necessarily think you need to cover it up. Hopefully not. I mean, what it means to you is what it means to you. It's on my back. People don't always see it. (laughs) Did they ever 100% confirm what the song was about? I mean, Paul,
0: yeah. He was interviewed and said, yeah, he did write it it, to offer encouragement to the the typical black woman facing oppression in America.
1: Well, good for him. Right?
0: Like, he was a pretty woke motherfucker back in 68. Good job, Paul. Good job. Good form. Like John, you go back and forth with them. You're like, "Oh, oh. Yeah.
1: But oh, but oh.
0: But you know who actually got, kind, kind, kind of got the meaning of the song right more than I did? Ringo? Nope. <laughs> Close. No. No. Um, Charles Manson. Yeah. He used this song, he thought the song was written about how the black people are going to <clears throat> uprise and destroy the white You know, folk and blah, blah, blah. No, it just felt like this, you know, you need to kind of throw it in here because he actually
1: understood it was about African-Americans. Just really twisted it.
0: Just really twisted it. But
1: he understood that, yeah, it was about African-Americans and the civil rights struggle of the time, but interpreted it in a very wrong way. Oh, it was real wrong. (laughs) Very wrong. interpreted it in a very Charles Manson kind of way. It was It was not. As in totally fucking racist. <laughs> <gasps> what? Charles Manson is a racist? No. I
0: know. I'm all
1: surprised about that too. <laughs>
0: Actually, speaking of songs that Charles Manson thought about, let's go into Piggies.
1: <laughs> Have you seen
0: So lovely little song by George Harrison.
1: Honestly, to me, it kind of sounds like a kid's song. Well, he he uh, musically really
0: um based it on baroque music. I mean, they're using a legit oh, yeah. barbsic chord, yeah.
1: Which good for you. And it it very clearly has a very baroque composition. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's but good though. Also, kind of sounds like. A children's song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, it does. Well, because anyway. it's also
0: about piggies. But yeah. if you really listen to it, it's totally the social yeah. commentary on like consumerism, class distinction, and maybe you, you know did the that bourgeoisie. On oh, he did it 100. percent I mean, yeah. George. Oh, the Beatles in general were really against that kind of shit. Yeah. You know, they were kind of dirty hippies, but they were like clean dirty hippies. Yes, in a in a way, in a way. Actually, he used the nursery rhyme, lyrical style, to counterbalance the attacks on corporate greed and capitalism. Exactly. And he based it on George Orwell's Animal Farm, obviously. Oh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, See, there's so much more to this shit than, like, you hear it, you think, oh, it sounds like a children's song. Nope. It's actually a Baroque composition. (laughs) Right?
0: It's Baroque composition based on George Orwell's Animal Farm. And you're like, Oh, cool
1: consider me schooled
0: i have been thanks
1: george harrison this is why he's my
0: favorite beetle i mean he does a good job he does a good job um he actually asked his mom to help with lyrics he's like mom help me with lyrics mom 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 um, can you
1: help me with these lyrics
0: she was the one who came up with the line is what they need is a damn good whacking about the piggies and unfortunately charles manson heard that and was like Oh. We need to kill the upper class. That's what we need to do. Um, he actually just took it as part of the uprising. And as some may know, um, during the Manson family murders, they would write pig on everything. Political piggy, pig, piggy, in whatever. Blood.
1: In blood. <laughs> in blood. Of the people they just murdered. Yeah,
0: it's real fun. It's real nice. Go look it up. Go look at pictures. It's not gross. Google it. Google it. It sucks. Learn yourself. <laughs> But he would write pig everywhere, and when George discovered this, he was like, Nope! Not what it meant! (laughs) Fuck! He was (laughs) real upset. It has nothing to do with, like, American policemen or Californian shag nasties. Which is, I think, Do you what seriously he nasties? He said shag nasties, which I think is what he referred to the Manson family as as shag nasties. I love you, Brit. Oh. Thank oh you. Oh my god,
1: that's amazing. We need
0: to bring that back too. <laughs> I'm
1: no, I can't say it. With a straight face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: I mean, but yeah, I mean, understandably, George is like, guys, that's not. I mean, yeah, I was talking about, but I didn't want you to. <sighs> Fuck. They so didn't tell you to murder anyone. They never said murder people. They never
1: said murder anyone. Or
0: did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> no. They 100% percent did I'm pretty sure they but did But Charles Manson will have you believe that they did. <laughs> um, and that'll lead us into our next fun little ditty called, also, also an animal song, Rocky Raccoon. A rocky raccoon checked into his room only to find Gideon's Bible.
1: Rocky had come equipped with a gun to shoot off the lands of his rival <laughs> It kind of sounds like he's trying to do like this funny southern or like midwestern accent and it is just oh. not pulling oh, it no. off. Oh
0: no. I mean as bad just... as we are with their British accents.
1: <laughs> I mean we're pretty bad with the British accents but, but they're also a bad. Paul, I, I mean, actually really on. like how
0: creepy he sounds. Like, i go get that boy. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, he is though. It's
1: like That's, that's creepy. Yeah, I'm,
0: I'm a little upset for <laughs> that boy, Dan, that he's going after. He actually was writing this song in India with John and Donovan helped with the song. So that's exciting. You know what? I can see that.
1: Like, you know, now that you say that. Now that you say the word Donovan, like, this kind of has Donovan's stamp all over it. I get it. <laughs> and you're like, oh. Now I hear it. Now this makes sense.
0: He originally wanted to call it Rocky Sassoon, but <laughs> decided Raccoon sounded more cowboyish, which neither sound like cowboy names, so.
1: I mean, Raccoon sounds a lot better than Sassoon. Sassoon. But like. Maybe, maybe just because, you know, I'm younger, I immediately think of Vito Sassoon. What? <laughs> <And laughs> I'm like, shampoo? What? what? Yeah. No.
0: Rocky shampoo. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, I would have gone there. I'm really glad yeah. he
1: went with Raccoon. Um,
0: I mean, it's really straightforward. But maybe, maybe this cowboy had really nice hair. Oh,
1: see, now, now this song's taken on a whole new meaning for like, me. Like, like, not just nice hair, but like. Nice hair. But like, George Michael in the last Christmas video, yeah. nice hair. Imagine a cowboy with that hair. Oh, God. So what you're
0: saying is in this song, when you listen to it, just take George Michael and stick his head um, on a a cowboy cowboy. and put a cowboy hat on. Yeah. There you go.
1: But you know what? Don't put the cowboy hat on because you'll ruin that hair.
0: I don't think you will. that's how good that hair is. If he was Rocky Sassoon, though, but he's Rocky Raccoon, so he's caramel hair.
1: He's <laughs> Rocky, Rocky Sassoon. Can't ruin hair with some cowboy hat on.
0: Actually, um, my favorite part about this song so it's very obvious, you know, the lyrics are real straightforward. You know, this kid, Rocky Raccoon, some guy takes his girl away and he's real upset about it. Now, about his girl, her name was McGill, who called herself Lil, but he only knew her as Nancy. Yo, this is getting way too complicated. <laughs> if your girl she's goes by that names. many names, too many names, dump her. I don't know yeah. why you felt like you needed to go beat up this guy for your woman. That's shady.
1: If That's she too has shady. Three, like, three you names. know you are,
0: you are like the fifth man she suckered in a month. <laughs> if
1: she's got that many names. Yeah. Walk away. Also, she probably has a burner phone. 100%. It's
0: like 1968, and like, what is that? It's burner phone. What is that? The fuck's a burner phone? Fo-
1: Don't ask. The fuck's a burner phone? <laughs> the, fuck the fuck is so a bad. burner
0: phone. Oh, God, with the words. Stop it. <laughs> um As far as the lyrics go, actually, some say the doctor who was stinking of gin was actually drawn from Paul's experience when he got into the motor accident mm-hmm. that everyone thinks he died in. And, uh, Apparently, some people say that when he told this, tells the story of it, that the doctor who worked on him smelled real bad of gin and fucked up his stitches over his lip, and that's why Paul had to grow out a mustache. But apparently, when Paul had to grow out a mustache, all the rest of the people was like, "Well, we're yeah. growing out mustaches too," <laughs> well, and they he, all grow out mustaches. Did
1: he chip a tooth in also the accident? Yeah, and like apparently he wanted to grow a mustache. To yeah, cover he wanted that, to cover yeah. it all up. So that and was. They all grow mustaches. And they all grow mustaches. But yeah,
0: overall, your name, way too complicated. Yep. Knock it off. Not worth walk, it. Walk away. Walk away, Rocky. Walk away. That's all you gotta do.
1: She Speaking sounds of... like the kind of girl that, like, lies for attention. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about anybody else. I no. Don't have time for that? I, I ain't got time for that shit. Th- Rocky, you ain't got time for that girl. She's lying. You're a cowboy. You ain't got time for that yeah, shit. Yeah, you should go on and do cowboy I mean, shit. Like- lasso some cows and I don't think that's how it works. Chase tumbleweeds. I don't know what the fuck cowboys That is what a cowboy does is (laughs) chase tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds. (laughs)
0: Figured it out. (laughs) Speaking of walking away, let's get to the next song Don't Pass Me By by my favorite Beatle
1: Ringo? (gasps) He wrote a song! (laughs) Don't pass me by Don't make me cry
0: Cute song. Hey
1: everybody! I wrote a song. <laughs> Very good, Ringo. We'll put it right here on the refrigerator. Yay!
0: <laughs> Actually, that Family Guy cutaway is not far off.
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of the best ones, like that they've ever done. Paul and John
0: genuinely did make fun of Ringo's songwriting. Aww. yeah. Apparently, there is a uh, 1964 BBC interview. And, like, Paul's talking, and at one point, Ringo's like, oh, let's record my song. And Paul just, like, sings a couple lines, and he's kind of, like, making fun of it. But then he's like, oh, but it's got a beautiful melody. I'm like, Paul, you're being a dick. <laughs> I don't blame Ringo for leaving for two right? weeks. Well, yeah. Half the ring- half the reason Ringo left was, like, apparently they were also ragging on this drum playing a lot, too. And he's like, I fucking hate all of you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were really mean to Ringo. Oh, I always, I always go for them. I'm
1: like, hey, don't make fun of him. He's a nice boy. Uh, he is undoubtedly the nicest Beetle.
0: Yeah. Oh, easily. Like, if I you mean, gotta hang out with a Beetle, you pick Ringo.
1: You know, <laughs> Christopher Lee once said that calling somebody nice is not like. Or somebody said it about Christopher Lee that they were genuinely a nice person. And they are like, that's probably not, like, the greatest compliment ever, but it kind of is. Kind of is. You know what? Because people
0: will remember you're an asshole. Yeah. People will remember you're nice. Yeah. You know? Who's going to want to hang out with you on a Friday night? <laughs> oh, God, I had a really shit day. Do I want to hang out with John or do I want to hang out with Ringo? <laughs> Ringo. Obviously. 100%. Unless John's got LSD. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only way I'm changing my mind. But actually, Ringo had been working on the song for, like, five years.
1: Aww. Yeah.
0: Aww. And finally on this album. I, I don't know if, like, they were like, fuck it, we all fucking hate each other. We're all doing our own thing anyway. So. Give them
1: at least one song out of 30. They gave one song out If of there's 30, gonna be 30 tracks on this album, give them one. one. Give them one. one. Just one.
0: Just one. And th- and he did. They did. And so Ringo got to do a song, which is pretty exciting for Ringo. And you know, what? I think it's a good song. It is it's a, good a cute song. song. You know, it's it's an easy, good fun time, and I mean, really, this is about where Ringo peaks, like for the rest of his life. But there's <laughs> nothing wrong with it. But there's nothing wrong but with that. But you know that.
1: what? He's so rich as fuck. So whatever. Yeah, he's doing fine. He's still, you know, what? He's still a nice guy. He's still a nice guy.
0: And speaking of nice guys, now this, I don't know how else to segue into this. Speaking of nice, let's go to the next song. Why don't we do it in the road? That's nice. really like the guitar and the drum and the piano. I just like all the music in that. Like, it does have a nice, good, bassy feel to it.
1: But also, there's a lot of reasons why I don't want to do it in the road. (laughs) So,
0: it's funny you say that. (laughs) Paul wrote the song for one very simple reason. He saw monkeys fucking in the road in India. And he just kind of really marveled at the fact that animals are so uncomplicated with how they procreate. They're just like, yep, just do it, do it, and then walk away. And then humans are just so full
1: of emotional turmoil with it. He's extremely just like, particular. Yeah, also have a lot of fucked up, like psychological things that have right. to do with sex. Right,
0: and-, and Paul's like, man, animals just do it in the road. Why don't we just <laughs> do it in the road?
1: That's and I'm like. That's a fair, that's a valid point, Paul. It's a valid point, but, but also, I'm not. there is a huge difference between humans and monkeys. We're very closely related, but I'm still not just gonna fuck in the room. I'm not, I'm
0: just not gonna do it, you know? Um, actually, this is another one of Paul's songs that everyone hated. No one helped him on it, except Ringo.
1: Aww. Ringo was
0: the only one who helped him with the song. He played the drums, and, and Paul played all the rest of the, the instruments by himself. Because they were like, nah, I don't need to be in this. Teamwork. He actually Paul decided to record the song without John because he was like I'm going to get you back for Revolution 9 which <laughs> we will get to trust me but I was like that's valid Fair enough that's fair enough Paul good f- not good form but form form
1: nonetheless
0: <laughs> yeah
1: medium form medium form medium form
0: so you know it was it was a little it was a little slight departure out of Paul's usual comfort zone little bit. but this is definitely within paul's comfort zone it's called i will the next track who knows how long i've loved you Do you know
1: i love you still
0: This is a this is a classic Paul song, simple love song. Paul wrote it for Linda. Aww. Yeah. Right before she and her daughter were gonna move in with him. He was like, Oh, I'm real nervous, but I love you. <laughs> That's bad. It's bad accent. Actually. Let me write you this really sappy love song. <laughs> and she probably ate it up. I would have. Yeah. 100 percent Took him 67 takes to get the song to where you liked it. Oh Record the
1: fucking song 67 times. It's just kind of a reason why this album is so fascinating is because this was one of, like, the first times that a band really spent more than just a couple weeks right? Uh, recording an album. Yeah, like, this was months. This was months, and it was take after take after take after take. And I think even the producers were like, "What? what why are you doing 50 <laughs> takes? Like, the first one was perfect. Why are you doing 49 more? And It's like, not good enough. And, like, and I'm sure the record company was like, what the fuck is taking you guys so long? Like, you're fucking lucky you're the Beatles. Yeah, and you're lucky you can pretty much do whatever the fuck you want. But. But, still, why is this taking why? so long? You used to shit out albums in literally a couple weeks. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh. So this, I think this was kind of like a game changer for how albums were recorded and how right. lo- like the standard for how long bands could take I mean now it's years. Yeah, Bands take years yeah. to record albums.
0: But like as you, I mean you look at like the Beatles they had an album out sometimes like twice a year. Yeah,
1: like every six, maybe even like every five or four months they were shitting out albums. Yeah, And now they were taking so much time to write this album. And granted it's, it's 30 tracks. Yeah. As opposed to album. like the maybe 10 that they would get on a single vinyl, yeah, maybe 10. That's
0: a lot. It's a lot of fucking music. It's a lot of fucking songs.
1: But still, if they went at the same pace, excuse me, that they went with their other albums, this still could have been done in only like four weeks. Yeah. A month, maybe a month and a half instead of however long it took them. Although you
0: do have to wonder too, I mean, how, how much like, quicker do you think they could have been if they weren't also all fighting? I mean, a lot of these things, they would have to, like, okay, I have to do a take for this, and a take for that, and a take for that, and mix it, and all that jazz. And
1: I'm sure, like, they were never in the studio at the same time. Yeah. And not actually collaborating together. They are just like, I'm doing this track, and then I'll do this track, and then somebody comes in two days later, and I'll do the track on this, whatever. Nobody was ever in the studio at the same time, so it it kind of set the standard for albums being made from that point on because you weren't just in there playing live recording, done in one take, put it on an album press it ship it
0: no it was it was a big fucking deal it was yeah well and so let's do the last last one on uh, on the first record last song on the first record <laughs> I't by the way this is the last song on the first record there are two records, four sides so hold up. This is Julia by John. But I say it just to reach
1: you, Julia. Julia, Julia.
0: Ocean child calls me. So I sing the song of love, to Holy, 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 holy. Eyes, windy smile.
1: This this song kind of makes me want to snooze. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty. Yeah, yeah, but also I kinda wanna fall asleep. <laughs> well that is mom. Dead mother. Oh, that's You're sad. more
0: dead to me that's than sad. your dead mother. <laughs> Uh, actually, yeah. So, John wrote the song about his mom Julia, and uh, she actually died in the late fifties. You now, John had a weird relationship with his, with his mother because when he was born, she wasn't quite fit to have a kid. I think um, was she young? She was she was quite young, and she was a single mom. Um, so he actually went to go live with his aunt, and when he was a teenager, he started to kind of reconnect with his mother. And they started to get close again. You know, they talked about, like, maybe him moving back in eventually. Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then she got struck by a motorist and died. Oh, Yeah. Sounds- so that is why, now we've come full circle, John has weird mom issues. You know, he was kind of dropped off like grandmother, aunt, wasn't allowed yeah. to really be around his mom.
1: Then we got to be around his mom. His mom died. So never really had, like, this solid got- female figure yeah. in his life, let alone a father.
0: Oh, yeah, no. father was just um I actually don't quite remember the story 100% but it he was, yeah absentee father 100 but um when he was in India he basically asked Donovan to help him come up with lyrics for a quote childhood that never existed for him and Donovan's like alright cause he's all like yeah I'm into like those weird trippy lyrics and Alice in Wonderland and stuff I'll help you out Sure. so John's like great this is gonna be great And, of course, he manages to include Yoko in the song as well. The lyric, Ocean Child Calls For Me, is a direct reference to Yoko because her name in Japanese means Child of the Ocean. So, can't have a White album song by John without somehow tossing Yoko in there.
1: Of course. Especially one about his mom.
0: Yeah, right? Like, oh, God. (laughs) John, oh, God, you poor, you poor misguided soul. I just, I mean, I get it. You know, back then, mental health wasn't as it is now, and oh, John, poor thing. <laughs> so we went like way longer. We're going way longer with this than yeah. how I thought we would. Like, we're we're deep. We're deep. There in. is no
1: way we could, we could talk about thirty songs in one hour. You know, it's funny because on throw notes, I'm like, I can do this, <laughs> and I'm like,
0: I can't do this. No. So we're actually having our first episode be a two parter. Yep. That's how fucking legit this is. (laughs) I want you all to realize how legit this is that we have two episodes. I have a
1: feeling everything we do is
0: going to be a two-parter. Because we talk a lot. Well, our next episode is part two, the second disc of the White Album. And then we'll have more even after that. Because we're basically going to be like behind the music the podcast, but with a lot more (laughs) swearing. And we won't get sued because we're not called behind the music. And we don't have any interviews. Actually we're nothing like behind the music.
1: We can, can be called around the tunes. Around the tunes. That's it. That's no. Look. In front of uh Sounds. Somewhere around about. Somewhere
0: around about the sounds. Alright. Thank you for listening to Rock Candy. And uh I'll just let us say uh party on Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Cheers and party on, you crazy kids out there. We'll see y'all next time. See
1: ya. I got blisters on my fingers!